Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Hello. My name is John Wilson. My wife Connie and I have been in Cornerstone Church for about a year. We moved here from St. Louis, Missouri. Grandchildren, two little girls this tall. They're very powerful. They control me. That's why we live here. Um, I am a uh, long-term retired Assemblies of God pastor. Um, I would like to say to Greg... Uh, Thank you for singing Be Thou My Vision. When I was in seminary, which is like a former life almost, um, it was in St. Louis, Missouri, and we would sing that in chapel almost every week, uh, and I haven't heard that song since then. Um, That's me. It's just another little small touch from the Lord that I'm supposed to be here right now. So thanks, Greg. (laughs) The pastor is not here because uh, he is in school. Uh, You know, he's a school teacher, and this is summertime, and uh, he is working on an advanced degree. So um, he and his family are not here today. But today, we honor fathers. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Fathers are given the most important duty concerning their children. Fathers are to model our Heavenly Father to our children, and we are to teach our children about our Heavenly Father. We begin most of our prayers by addressing God as our Father in heaven. As an earthly father loves his children, so our heavenly father loves us. As an earthly father sacrifices for his children, so our heavenly father has sacrificed his son for us. As an earthly father provides for his children, our heavenly father provides for us. I am thankful for my earthly father. He gave me a good Christian foundation. I'm thankful for my father-in-law. He gave me a good wife. (laughs) I'm thankful for my son, who makes me a father, and for his two daughters, who makes me a grandfather, and that's why I'm here. At the close of the service, there's a special gift for all the dads. There's craft soda. Now, I have to say, I don't know what craft soda is, but Ray said it was good. So, um, (laughs) Ray, it's your ball. (laughs) If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. As we continue on in the series of overcoming, we've come to the time of the life of David. And the focus today is on chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. 
David is considered the greatest king in the history of Israel. He led Israel to a place of wealth and international prominence. He expanded the physical borders of Israel to the greatest extent. When the queen of Sheba rode 1,200 miles on camelback to see Jerusalem, the city of David, she said, the half of its beauty was not told to me. Not only was David a leading politician, he is more known as a spiritual giant. He was a man after God's own heart. I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 13. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. David was a courageous soldier. David was a noted singer, a musician, and a poet. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. But the Bible does not flatter its heroes. David yielded to the temptation to sin. And when his sin was exposed, he repented and he confessed. He never fulfilled his lifelong dream to build a temple for the Lord. David is listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. That's in the book of Hebrews. David is a picture of our ancestor and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's something very interesting. If you have a Bible, please turn to the New Testament. If you're finding it on your phone, please turn there. David is mentioned in the first verse of the New Testament and almost the last verse. He's the bookends for the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Now go to the end of the New Testament. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. Go back to verse 16. I think it's just five verses from the end. And it says... I, Jesus, am the root and offspring of David. Jesus received the throne of his father, David. I'm quoting from Luke 1. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So let's meet this important person. Point number one. God is our Savior. I'm reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1. God's word to the prophet Samuel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself from among his sons. For a clear picture of David, we have to see him in the time of God's redemptive history. Let us look at the time in which he was born <coughs> and he was called by God. The nation of Israel was formed and molded under the leadership of two giants, Moses and Joshua. As long as those men were alive, the Israelites followed the ways of the Lord. Joshua held the final national solemn assembly in which the people enthusiastically agreed to do the will of God. <coughs> Could I have a cup of water? Do I have a handy servant somewhere who would bring me a cup of water. <laughs> <coughs> 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 
After the watchful eyes of those men were closed in death, Israel, through the misleading influence of the nations that surrounded them, (coughs) started into a downward spiral. In their cry of distress, God raised up judges, delivered them from some of the very people that they were worshiping with. There's a scene of apostasy, and then righteous judgment, and then repentance, and then deliverance. That's repeated 28 times in the book of Judges. Until at long last, oh, thank you, Greg. What a servant, huh? Thank you, Greg. Until at long last, under the leadership of Samuel, the people became somewhat stable spiritually. But then all at once, there's this impetuous eagerness and a sort of an insatiable blindness to demand a king. And so they go to Samuel, and they say, we want to be just like everyone else. We want a king. Samuel is brokenhearted. God speaks to Samuel and says, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. And so God chose Saul, the Benjaminite, the son of Kish, to be the king. He was young, he was fair, he was stately, he was a head taller than all other people. This energetic youth endowed with talent, rich in promise, appeared to embody all of the hope of Israel. Samuel said to the people, this is 1 Samuel chapter 10, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and say, Long live the king! Well, King Saul was victorious in his first test. He led Israel to victory over the Ammonites. I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 11. The next morning Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. That victory was God's judgment on the Ammonites for the way they had treated the Hebrews during the wilderness wandering. Following that victory... Samuel laid down his job as a counselor and a judge. He just became the confidant to the king. In the second war, we get a very regretful and sorrowful look at King Saul's state of mind. Rather than believing God, he took matters into his own hands and disobediently assumed the role of priest. Samuel gave him God's verdict. Saul would be removed as king. However, in that battle, the Israelites defeated the Philistines. And King Saul was lulled into a false sense of security. In the third war, Saul was disobedient again. This time he took spoil of the sheep and the goats that he was told not to do. Samuel announced a second time that the kingdom would be taken from him. I'm quoting from 1 Samuel 15. 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being the king. Samuel separated himself from King Saul. He never saw him again in his lifetime. Samuel had a heavy heart. King Saul, who was the great hope of the nation, he was going to throw off all of the oppressors. He was going to lead Israel to greatness, had fallen. In a battle with Israel's archenemy, the Philistines, Saul became so despondent that he took his own life. The Philistines rejoiced. They had defeated Israel. Young David lamented. He sang this very famous lament. It's in 2 Samuel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. There appeared to be no hope. The king was dead. When the solution seems the darkest, without light, God brings his salvation. Samuel was instructed to go south to Bethlehem, and there he would find the new king. God had selected. King Saul had failed. Samuel was old, unable to lead the nation. He grieved over Saul. He didn't want to see the nation spun back into the condition it was during the judges. At the time, the new king was only a boy, the youngest son of Jesse. He had red hair and complexion. That's in contrast to the dark hair and the dark skin of the Middle East people. 1 Samuel 16. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and had a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. The young king would lead Israel to its greatest glory. When all seemed lost, God saved his people. The Apostle Paul said he had as his one goal in life to know the power of the resurrection. I'm quoting Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Resurrection power is needed only when there is no other way out. When Jesus lay breathless and lifeless in the tomb, God visited him with resurrection power and brought him to life. <coughs> Amen. The Apostle Paul is saying, he is going to live a life of faith to such a degree that if God does not intervene, all will be lost. <clears throat> when the last penny has been spent, when there's no money left, God will always come through. In the classic Christian movie, The Hiding Place, <clears throat> Corrie ten Boom was comforting her younger sister, Betsy. She used an example from their life. Corrie said to a fearful Betsy, When does Father give the train tickets to us to board the train? Betsy replied, when the train arrives. God is the same for his children. When all hope is gone, God reaches in to save us. When there's nothing I can do, I have spent my fury. I can do nothing else. God saves me. How is it with you? If you're grieving over a loss, maybe it's a family, a boyfriend, health, 
a dream, a job, your life. Keep your heart, your eyes open because the Lord will save you. God saved me. I couldn't help myself. Jesus came to this earth to give the gift of salvation. God is our Savior. Point number two. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for God God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint a new king from among the sons of Jesse. I'm sure Jesse was honored to entertain the famous prophet. His sons would have been introduced from the oldest to the youngest. And after meeting the seven oldest sons, Samuel knew he had not yet met God's choice. And so he asked, is there yet another? And Jesse replied, oh, David, he's the runt. He's out with the sheep. Jesse did not consider him important enough to meet the prophet. So Samuel instructed Jesse, bring David. As soon as Samuel saw David, he knew immediately that this was God's choice to be the new king. You see, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. We live in the video age. Appearance is everything. You wear your best clothes for the job interview. You speak clearly. You use good diction. You look the interviewer in the eye. You stand up straight. TV personalities always appear to have a good appearance. Now, I know that tall people have an initial advantage in appearance. I know when I stand in front of you, you are making a subconscious decision about me. You are comparing me with other people you listen to, either in person or TV or movies, but you cannot see my heart. You do not know my motives. I may be a charlatan. You can only know my heart after watching me for a while. You must trust I am who I say I am. But God sees inside. He sees my motives. He sees my strengths. He sees my failures. He sees my hopes. He sees my dreams. He sees my faith. He sees my temptations and every other intention in my heart. There's a flip side as well. The outward appearance may not be good, but God can see a good heart. God measures a man much differently than man measures man. God has a tape measure, let's pretend, and he measures a man. If people are measuring people, we measure intelligence. Knowing your school, your degrees, your grades, tells me a lot about you. But God's tape measure does not measure the size of my head. It's not that stupidity is a virtue. It's not that misuse of the English language is a goal, but my intelligence does not make me a person after God's own heart. Athletics and sports 
Very important to people. The sports section of the paper is larger than most of the other sections. The sports report on the nightly TV is prominent. I have learned that the people in Denver live and die with the Broncos. But God's tape measure does not measure the size of a man's chest or his biceps. It's not that a flabby body is the goal, but a finely tuned body does not make me a man after God's own heart. Money is very important to people. The stock market report is prominent in the daily news. Money, or the appearance of money, tells me a lot about a person. But God's tape measure does not measure the size of a man's wallet. It's not that poverty is a virtue. The goal of life is not to be homeless. But a large estate does not make you a person after God's own heart. God is able to take his tape measure and make a non-invasive chest measurement. He can put that tape measure right in here and he can wrap it around my heart and measure it. God looks at a man's heart. Did David have a developed heart when he was six years of age? Or could God see that his heart would develop to be a spiritual heart? That's a question for debate. But God could see David's motives. <coughs> in the early 1950s, the drug culture was just beginning in New York City. <clears throat> People were injecting drugs into their bodies by shooting needles into their arms. That is everywhere now. But God chose David Wilkerson, a pastor from Pennsylvania, to take the gospel to the streets of New York City. He was a very unlikely candidate. God passed over the large wealthy congregations in the city, God passed over the seminaries and the highly educated pastors. David Wilkerson <clears throat> had stopped watching television to spend the evening in prayer. A copy of Life magazine came to his home. And in that magazine were pictures of New York teenagers on trial in a New York City courtroom. David was gripped by the pictures and he left immediately for New York City. He tried to enter the courtroom carrying his Bible. He was thrown out onto the streets. The newspapers were there with pictures. Those pictures were the next day's newspaper. Those pictures became his entree to the gangs on the streets of New York. He went there and preached the gospel to them. That was the beginning of the ministry of Teen Challenge, which is now worldwide and is used to bring hope to thousands upon thousands of people. God saw the heart of a young, skinny preacher in a small Pennsylvania town, and he said, he's my choice. Send him. God is actively doing that today. God looks at your heart, while men look at your outward appearance. Point number three, God anoints his people for service. If you're still there in 1 Samuel, look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. God directed that oil be poured over the priests and the kings of Israel as an outward sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon that person to carry out their God-given assignment. This was to show that God-selected work can only be done by God-given power. The accomplishments of King David were done only by God's power working through him. Every battle he won, every psalm he wrote, every building he built was done in the power of God working through him. David could not have made Israel the great nation it became without the Holy Spirit working in him. Jesus Christ was the same. After Jesus was introduced to the public by John the Baptist at his baptism in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit came upon him as symbolized by a dove coming down out of heaven. And there was a voice that was heard that said, This is Jesus, my son. Following that, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then following that, Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he said that the Holy Spirit had come upon him to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are downtrodden. Holy Spirit power was necessary to do all four tasks. They could not be done in human power, and God gave the power. The people following Jesus during his lifetime <clears throat> were born again, <clears throat> excuse me, after the resurrection, but before the ascension. In John chapter 20, it describes how Jesus says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and they were born again. And then Jesus gave very specific instructions to them preceding the ascension, that they were to wait in Jerusalem to receive the power from on high, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I read to you from Acts chapter 1. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work. <clears throat> My wife, Connie, and I founded West County Assembly of God in Chesterfield, Missouri. We received outside help from only one man. He sent us a $25 check every month for two years. It was a great encouragement to us. Yet, all bills were paid on time. Everything needed was provided by the Lord. We had a prime piece of real estate marvelous exposure. We got money from a banker by a miracle. It was a handshake agreement. No paperwork. 
Circumstances beyond human control were changed in our favor, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can see this picture yet in my mind. As a congregation, we had occupied our first building. It was a wonderful A-frame structure. Our architect won an award for it. However, the driveway and the parking lot had not been paved. We had occupied the building for one year, and we felt it was time. The year was 1973. In those days, ladies wore stiletto heels to church. They would fall in the rocks of the parking lot. I remember standing in a circle at the close of a Sunday morning service with the three deacons. We asked for reports. The treasurer gave a report. All bills were current. We were behind with nothing. However, we had no savings or contingency funds. We were living from hand to mouth. The question was, should the parking lot be paved? The deacon who was responsible for that presented a report. The best bid was $5,000. That is $29,000 in 2018 dollars. We joined hands and we prayed for God's direction. Then each deacon was asked, should we pave the parking lot? Each one said yes. Now, I'm a conservative person. I do not spend money I do not have. I do not have a balance on a credit card. If you can't afford it, you don't buy it. Well, the contract was signed. That day, we signed a contract for $5,000, not knowing how it would be paid for. Fast forward two months. The same three deacons and I were standing in the foyer of the church. We asked the treasurer for a report. He said, all bills are current, and we have $5,000 in the savings account. Now, Mike, that would be $29,000 today. We asked, should the bill be paid? Everyone agreed. Where did that money come from? Only God knows. (laughs) Only God knows where that money came from. God has chosen people for ministry at Cornerstone Church. God looked on your heart and chose you. Being effective in the work of God requires two things. Number one, God's direction. Number two, God's power. The church needs spiritual power to operate. Every teacher needs power. Every musician who stands here needs power. Every deacon needs power. Every leader needs power. When we try to do our Christian work in the flesh, it accomplishes nothing. We need spiritual power to resist the temptations of Satan. Jesus did also. We need power to love everyone. We need power to be effective in our community. As the people in the New Testament did, let us call upon the Lord and wait for the infilling of God's power. I've told you three things. Number one, I told you that God is our Savior. When Israel had fallen to their enemies and had been defeated, God stepped in with a new king. If you are at the point of discouragement and defeat, look to the Lord. Number two, man looks at the outward appearance, 
God looks at the heart. God chose a six-year-old boy to lead Israel to victory. God sees your heart. You may compare your outward appearance to others and feel lacking, but God sees your heart. And number three, God anoints people with power to do his work. Oil was poured over David as an outward sign of inward power. God gives Holy Spirit power to people to do their God-assigned tasks. Our Lord is wonderful. He cares for every need and every situation. Please stand. And I'm going to invite you to sing this little song that I like. I'll lead you. If you don't know it, it's so simple, you'll know it one time through. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. And only you, Lord, can do it. And we humbly confess our need. And now we thank you for fathers. I pray, Lord, your grace upon every father who is here. Bless them, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for fathers. Thank you for our fathers. And thank you we can father our children. Help us in all that we do. And now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Dads, there's a gift for you out there. And family members, please uh, let Dad know how important he is. God bless you all. <laughs>
We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.